For the first time since the publishing press, churches have the advantage. You heard me. When it comes to the world of social media content, churches actually have the leg up on businesses, influencers, and other nonprofits. What exactly do I mean? Find out on this week's episode of the Digital Missions Podcast. Yo, Justin here, and you are listening to the Digital Missions Podcast, where our goal is to equip pastors like you with the skills needed to reach your very first million people with the gospel. And here's the thing. The last time that churches were on the cutting edge of technology was over 500 years ago. The Gutenberg Press had just been invented, and the very first book to be produced on a mass scale was, in fact, the Bible. This technological revolution spurred perhaps one of the greatest revivals of all time due to the forward thinking and innovation of the world's brightest and most adventurous minds. However, things seem to have slowed down over the last few centuries. Churches no longer seem to carry the reputation of being the center of ingenuity and instead often are seen as outdated relics of the past. Today's guest, Brady Shearer from the popular podcast Pro Church Tools, joins us today to help churches like yours reclaim their rightful place. In fact, through one simple strategic shift, your church can reach anywhere between 10 to 100 times your current reach. How? A little thing that we like to call repurposing. How do you feel about the idea, the claim that uploading sermons to the internet for the purpose of growing your church's social media is kind of a waste of time? What do you think about that? Yeah, I like to make a distinction between rebroadcasting and repurposing. Hmm. Uh, churches are in a pretty unique, advantageous position. At least that's my belief, because our senior leader spends a big bulk of his or her, t- her time every week creating content that will then be shared with our audience. Uh, you know, I was at the dentist uh, last week, fun time, thinking about the dentist down the street. Uh, you know, they have to contend with digital media just as much as a, as a church would. Uh, and my dentist has to focus on taking x-rays and examining teeth and the hygienists are doing the cleaning and the uh, admin at the front desk is making sure the bills get set and I book my next appointment even though I don't want to. And then they have to think about social on top of that. And I think, you know, a dentist can make a great video like, you know, the five things I would never do as a dentist with my teeth. Uh, but that's on top of everything that they already do. Whereas churches, our organizations uniquely positioned We've already got that content. And Mm -hmm. it's one thing to rebroadcast that to the world. I think that there are certain limitations uh, to that. If we make some simple tweaks, we can shift from rebroadcasting that content to repurposing that content. Again, it's already there, just needs to be repurposed. And now we're cooking with gas. Hmm. Okay, so a rebroadcast would serve a particular function. Who, who, Who do you, in your mind, who is the kind of the rebroadcast best suited for? Well, I think you could certainly make a case that in the context of live streaming a service, uh, rebroadcasting would be great for those that are uh, unable to meet in person. So maybe someone that's bedridden, of course, during COVID, those that are perhaps uh, immunocompromised, those that are unwell and don't want to, uh, you know, put others in vulnerable positions in that respect. You could talk about folks that travel for work, uh, military stationed overseas, perhaps people that want to feel like they're a part of church, but don't necessarily uh, have the ability to be there in person. I don't think that would justify a uh, uh, considerable commitment into live streaming, let's say. I think that if you want to do live streaming well, uh, the cost has become a lot more accessible than it was 10 years ago, which is great news, uh, but it does still have uh, 
people that need to man the cameras and you know work the chat ideally i think if you really want to read let's talk about the average church right the average church um is fewer than 300 people in north america even in the states where churches are as as big as they get and i'm here in canada where things are a little bit smaller uh, as big as they get in in america you know the average church is still roughly around 100 people and 90 percent of churches are going to be under 300 people so if that's the thing that we're thinking here, the everyday church, you know, not the ones that are most visible, not the ones that are most influential per se, but the everyday average church, if you just want to reach, you know, let's say the 10% of your congregation that does fall into those categories of, you know, overseas, traveling for work, uh, stuck at home for whatever reason, I think you can set up a really simple camera and let them feel like they're part of a live stream. That to me is on like a private feed and unlisted YouTube, let's say. To me, that's distinct, very different from like, let's make a big produced live stream the way that the big churches happen to do. I think for the average everyday church, there are many different things that we could consider exploring that are going to be more cost effective, that are going to be more missionally effective, and might not be the most, uh, might, might, might not be what you see most churches doing uh, that are very big and maybe in a different position than you are. Uh, but from a social standpoint, I think are superior. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the things that in my conversations with pastors, it seems like it's a little bit of a hump to get them to consider the truth of, you know what? Live streams have a purpose, but it's not nearly as broad as you might think. One of the big fundamental challenges, is if I'm just scrolling on YouTube and I see some small church live stream, like Give me a reason why I should care. And the reality is most live streams, even if you had all the fancy cameras and the smoke machines and the lights, the reality is it's probably not going to draw someone who's not already tied into the community. And so there's this different approach to it, this idea of taking the content that you're already creating week after week after week and repurposing it. Can you walk us through what a strategy around repurposing it would look like and why that might be more advantageous missionally? Certainly. So if we get to the core of what we're trying to accomplish on social media, uh, we have to consider our church's missions and our vision and values. So, you know, every church might say it differently, but at its core, we're all trying to do fundamentally the same thing. And that is to, you know, compel people to love God, love others and to make disciples. And so at the end of the day, everything that we do in church, every ministry uh, and every, uh, you know, expression of what we do in church should be fulfilling uh, and accomplishing that mission. So that's kind of like our, our North Star. And I, that might sound like, hey, you know, we're kind of covering the basics with that. But at least in my experience working with churches in the context of social, it's very easy to get caught up in like, oh, my goal is posting frequently or hmm. my goal is, you know, getting more followers on this platform or my goal is, you know, just having a really aesthetic looking feed. So when you go to my Instagram, it all looks very unified and, and those things can all be great, but, but that's not really why we're on these platforms. We hmm. use social media in the context of ministry to fulfill the church's vision and mission. So we get, there are so many different uh, applications for this, but one that we've been specifically highlighting uh, this year is something that we've called a social sermon. And a social sermon is where you would take, let's say, the full 30 to 60 minute sermon that was preached. And now a lot of churches have video recordings of this. And that wasn't really the case uh, five years ago, uh, pre-pandemic or 10 years ago, kind of pre the digital media boom. But nowadays, you know, it's really inexpensive to set up just a, a video recording of your sermon at the very least. So you have that. Okay, how do we take that and bring it to the world of social? Well, we're in a pretty unique time with social media right now where every single major platform has kind of turned 
into the same direction, which mm-hmm. as someone that has been on social since its beginning and, and working in social since basically its beginning, every platform has always had its own specialty. So I would never recommend to a church that you take a single piece of content and publish it to mm-hmm. Facebook and to Instagram and to YouTube and to, you know, TikTok before, you know, and to Twitter. It's like, no, no, no. Each platform has its own specialty. So cross posting, publishing the same piece of content to multiple platforms, it's probably not going to, to be effective for you. So you need to create new content for each platform, which is, of course, a big task. Well, now with discovery algorithms kind of taking the place of what we call social algorithms. And that's uh, for a little bit of context there. Discovery algorithms are the kind of algorithms that you'd see on, on TikTok or Instagram Reels or YouTube Shorts, where the idea is that the algorithm is analyzing your viewing habits and patterns and then recommending you content based on that. Social graph algorithms would be like, hey, I have Justin as a friend on my Facebook. And so when Justin posts or maybe things that Justin is connected to, then those things might show up on my feed. So what shows up on my feed are based on my social connection, uh, Hmm. social connections, friends and family. Discovery algorithms are based on your viewing habits and patterns. So big change. And go ahead, please. I was just gonna say, do you think that the shift towards kind of more of an interest based viewing uh, history based algorithm, does that make us more siloed? Or does this allow us to actually reach more people? Well, seekers, it definitely it, seekers, allows if us, you might. It, certainly, it definitely allows us to reach uh, to more more people, and that kind of gets to this idea of a social sermon. You take you look at the full sermon, you've got it recorded, and you know that with a discovery algorithm, what that means is that you can reach uh, people beyond your existing sphere of influence because. That's the other part of what makes discovery algorithms so special. For a long time, uh, it was very common for us to kind of decry social platforms because it was really hard to reach people beyond those that follow us. And mm-hmm. like the platforms are really saturated. And what discovery algorithms do is basically say, hey, look, if your content is relevant, it's going to be shown to a ton of people. So kind of going results first, a couple of churches sent me their social sermons this week. One was a church that works with us. We made it for them. One was another church that just like, watched our free workshop and then did it themselves, which is Mm -hmm. great because, you know, there are only so many people that can pay, you (laughs) know, what we, what we charge. Uh, So many can do it on on their own. Great. And they both sent me their analytics. So if you go to an Instagram post and you click view insights at the bottom of the post, what that will bring up is a bunch of different analytics, but one of them will show you is how many followers this post reached versus Mm non-followers and both churches which are both everyday churches, fewer than 300 people. They both had like a couple hundred followers on Instagram. So it's smaller accounts by a lot of different metrics. They had reached roughly 150 of their own followers. So about 50% of their own followers. And then each social sermon had reached 12,000 non-followers. Wow. And, and so what this had done was they had created a piece of content. The Instagram algorithm had said, oh, people are enjoying this. Let's push it to new audiences. And now... People who are not connected to this church, not connected to faith necessarily, are coming across the good news on social. And we can get into the specific formulas for creating these social sermons if you're interested at all. But that's kind of like, at least on the results side, going with what, you know, uh, going with the end last, uh, it's pretty exciting about what these uh, changes in social platforms can do. Because the other final thing I was getting at there before we move on is that every social platform is incentivizing the same thing. Mm-hmm. YouTube, shorts, vertical video. Instagram mm-hmm. reels and Facebook reels, vertical video. 
TikTok, vertical video. I've even begun experimenting with it on Twitter because they've also introduced the For You uh, algorithm. So all of these five major platforms, discovery algorithms, all of them, eh, maybe not Twitter, let's say four and a half out of five, big push into vertical video. So now you can create one piece of content and publish it to all of these major platforms. And now it's not a drawback. Now it's recommended. So get as many lottery tickets as you can. Now, I know that none of you guys listening right now are the gambling types, but this analogy that Brady is sharing is pretty spot on. There's a sense in which the game of short-form videos is a bit of a lottery system. The more tickets that you purchase, then the more likely that you're going to go viral. Of course, the more viral hits, the more impact, and ultimately, the more decisions for Christ that you're going to see as a result of your ministry. But here's the good news. It's not all luck. There is also a science to creating content that gets noticed. Now, there is a formula for doing this well, because what I think a lot of churches miss is that they'll kind of just like take the sermon and then just Mm -hmm. post it on social. It's like, hey, we we grabbed a 60-second excerpt. You know, we watched and we saw that people clapped the most here. So we just grabbed 60 seconds and threw it on. Mm. And maybe it doesn't deliver the results that you expected. The formula for this is pretty simple. You need to listen through the sermon and identify certain segments that straddle the intersection of faith and culture. And that is the starting point that you want for your social sermon. And what we will then do is we'll inject a hook at the very beginning of the video within the first three seconds to really give us an opportunity of grabbing the attention of the viewer. Because what's important to remember is that there's a 30 to 60 minute sermon preached in person. To -hmm. then have a one minute extract from that is going to be void, absent so much of the context of that full sermon. So you need to reintroduce that context with what we call the hook, but you also need to identify parts of the sermon that are going to be universally accessible. And that's what I mean by finding parts of the sermon at the intersections of faith and culture. And let, let's get real practical here. Some, some categories for that would be, you know, parenting, relationships, finances, um, hope, purpose, destiny, you know, fear, identity, all of the things that every single person on earth is going to be confronted with, thinking about, caring about, but also things that scripture speaks to. And there's wisdom from scripture that is accessible for everyone. And this is the challenge. A lot of the times we get, you know, in our sermons that that can be very insider focused. Mm -hmm. And if you want the chance of one of your vertical videos, one of your pieces of content on social to reach a wider audience, you need to have something that is universally accessible, that Mm -hmm. anyone could come across, faith-based or not, and be like, oh, wow, this is interesting. And so what we do with the hook is we inject it at the very beginning of a video. And what that does is it makes a promise to uh, a a viewer. So here's an actual social sermon that we created for a church and it did really well. So this is a pastor preaching and the hook was a guide to healthy masculinity. So Hmm. at the very beginning of the video, within the first three seconds, you see the big title on the screen, a guide to healthy masculinity. And then the pastor, over the next 60 seconds, uh, we basically cut together uh, a part of the sermon into a complete thought where at the beginning, there's a bit of a tease. He And this pastor, he goes, you know, husbands, I need you to listen to this. Hmm. And there's this tease. And then we go to the hook a guide for healthy masculinity. And then he spends the remaining 50 seconds or so basically explaining what healthy masculinity looks like from a Christ-centered worldview. Hmm. And so that, from a full 30 to 60 minute message, gets condensed into a social sermon, which it's not a sermon recap. 
it's basically a mini message that stands on its own which is also great because now this is evergreen content. And evergreen is a word in the social media world that basically means that there's no expiration date. So you don't need to worry about, we gotta get all this out before next Sunday's message is preached. No, no, that, that mini message is gonna stand on its own this week, next week, next year. And so, tease at the beginning, husbands, listen to this, a guide to healthy masculinity, wisdom from scripture, but it doesn't matter who you are, you're scrolling along, you're feeling, oh man, masculinity, that actually is a big thing in culture right now that we're like interrogating and reevaluating and maybe redefining or 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 not redefining what is healthy masculinity oh they're gonna say and now they're hearing wisdom from scripture engaging with the good news and the final piece of this formula is at the very end we give a call to action where we say do you want to listen to this full message find it on youtube find it on apple podcasts find it on find it on spotify because we don't just want to leave people there right and like oh it was great i listened to the thing but What's the next step they can take? And this gets back to your church's mission and vision. We want active participants in our churches, people that are moving towards Jesus. And part of that is taking whatever next step from where they are now. And if someone has just come across your social sermon, they've watched 60 seconds of a message, the next step might just be to listen to the full message. And then in that full message, someone's saying, hey, do you want prayer? Reach out to a pastor. Now they're engaging in spiritual practice. They're connecting to real people in church. They're making those uh, connections. And then again, we just keep going. More next steps, more next steps. I love that. Uh, your team is editing through dozens, if not over a hundred sermons every single week, uh, creating these sermon social clips. Uh, I'm wondering if you've started to notice some trends already at the early set of this, uh, as far as what are some practices that pastors seem to be doing that make it easier to identify these little clips? Well, every every pastor is is unique. And one thing that we have enjoyed working with churches is that we have the same editors and the same copywriters working with the same churches each week. And mm-hmm. so you begin to build a rapport with your communicator and mm-hmm. you can kind of learn their quirks and their habits. I will say stories are always something great to pull from. So I was working with this church in Australia and this pastor was talking about how to actually practice the Sabbath. And he started saying, hey, here's how my wife and I actually practice the Sabbath. And he was going through stories of his wife. So my wife um, loves to garden. And so one of the things that she does on her Sabbath is she'll just walk in her garden and she'll just, you know, be in nature, be in creation. And that's how she feels close to Jesus on her Sabbath. That's one of the things that she does. So what I did was anytime I see someone's story, I'll clip that because story is the most powerful form of human communication. Any single person, when they hear a story, they can integrate their own life experiences into that story. And that's what makes the storytelling medium so powerful is because you don't need to have any experience. You don't need pre-existing knowledge. Someone tells a story. We are in our DNA designed to hear and tell stories. So that's one thing I always look for that is just like, just makes things really easy. Cheat code for sure. Hmm. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Uh, Returning back to the idea of the call to action and leading your audience to next steps. I'm curious if you can give me a little bit more about that, because I think one of the inherent challenges, uh, it's one of the benefits, but also one of the inherent challenges of social ministry is that probably 99% of the people that engage with your content, at least at some level of scale, you'll never meet in person, almost almost guaranteed just because of the sheer scope and the, the opportunity to reach so many people. I'm wondering, other than just the call to action of going to watch your sermon and in the sermon offering prayer, is there a little bit more intentionality where we can start to see, to to use the 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 jar, just to see more butts and seats? Is is there something that can happen to manufacture more local engagement? Yeah, for sure. So 
this is where it's really interesting with TikTok. TikTok is one of the few social platforms, might be the only one that I know for sure, that has a regional element to mm. its discovery algorithm. So this is actually kind of a negative for me because I'm Canadian, but most of my audience is in America. Sure. And a couple years ago, actually maybe just like around a year ago, year and a half, I noticed that my TikTok like engagement started to like drop off and mm. became a mm-hmm. lot more challenging. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is because I noticed I could see it in the comments. They're like, hey, I'm in Canada too. And I was like, oh, okay. But like most of my audience and followers are not. But TikTok was like, yeah, but you're in Canada and we have a regional element to our discovery mm. algorithm. Uh, another example of this was when I was in I was in Hawaii and I was with my, my friend Alex and we're in Target and people are coming up to him and be like, I see your TikToks. And he goes, yeah, man, like there's no one that lives on this island. We're in Kauai. He's like, no one's on this island. So like they all see my TikToks. It's like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I go to Target and they're like, I saw you, I saw you. And so... What's cool about TikTok in that respect is that because there's a regional element, a disproportionate amount of people that could see your content will Mm. be within uh, driving distance, let's say, of your church. And so if you wanted to like get really thoughtful about this, and and most churches don't even, let's say, get to this place. Um, Mm -hmm. If you wanted to be really thoughtful about it, you could begin injecting uh, more uh, regional and like in-person calls to action you know we we, we have a, an entire guide on our nucleus blog uh, about a facebook ad strategy and the entire technique here doesn't need to be done with facebook ads but basically hosting bridge events in your church that very similarly to the intersection of faith and culture with a sermon idea the intersection of faith and culture with an in-person bridge event where hmm. it doesn't matter if someone's connected to church they would find something of value at this event that your church is doing but it's also not so disconnected from the church's mission that it has nothing to do with church it's mm-hmm. again at that intersection faith and culture and that's a great way to get people connected to your church in person for the first time you make a good first impression you welcome them back you know some percentage will uh, it's always going to be the minority that's just how these things work uh, but some percentage uh, will come back and then those that don't great first impression with your church you do that type of thing year over year over year now your church is this positive force in your community and that is the type of thing that does translate to uh you know butts and seats if that's going to be you know the the goal here specifically that we're talking about So in the context of social media, you could promote those bridge events at the end of each social sermon, for example. Um, Or you could have that kind of be the secondary call to action where Mm. you get people to listen to the full sermon. And then it's in that full sermon that there's an invitation to the bridge event uh, or there's an invitation to fill out the connect card that then goes to the bridge event. So we call this the next steps ladder, which is kind of just tracing like, okay, if someone found us online and had no idea who we are how do we get them to a fully integrated part of our church community recognizing that again it's the vast minority you know to use my company as an example we have uh, you know roughly a hundred thousand followers on on youtube on tiktok fifty thousand on instagram um 30 on facebook you know seventy thousand on the email list They're just lots and lots of churches we have a hundred and eighteen on our client services social sermons like platform so mm-hmm. that means that like what is what is 118 out of like you know 400,000 like, Dropping the like a tiny tiny amount but but that's the way that the online world works like and and people email me all the time they're like man i i love your content thank you so much i, I my church isn't in a position to buy any of your stuff but like thank you so much i follow you that's the same position that your church can be in right like oh yeah 
only one, two, three, four percent ended up coming back to an in-person service, but you made a positive interaction with other people in your community, with other people that know you online. And it's these small interactions over time that, that add up. These social interactions really do add up quickly. When you focus on leveraging the power of short form content consistently, when you serve your audience day in and day out with the gentle invitations for next steps, well, you'd be surprised at how quickly this compounds. To give you an example, about a year ago is when I made the decision to take short form content seriously. I had never tried TikTok or Instagram Reels before, but decided to get started anyways. 30 days into my TikTok journey, and I grew to over 20,000 followers. Over 1 million people were reached with a gospel in my very first month. One year later, I have about 100,000 followers split between TikTok and Instagram. But what's more exciting than followers is watching people take next steps. Over 10,000 people have gone through our discipleship process. Thousands of people doing Bible studies and we're growing our church community. We'll talk more about this on future episodes, but I did want to pause the episode right here. We'll bring Brady back to talk more about what it looks like to turn your sermons into social sermons, but I want to let things rest here for you. Because realize it or not, what Brady has shared with you today is enough to help you reach millions of people with a message that you're already preaching. It's about sitting down organizing your schedule, and choosing to take the time to create these social sermons. It's about patiently trusting the Holy Spirit to sow seeds and bear fruit in his own timeline. So just do it. Take time this week to comb through your sermons and cut the best snippets out. Why? For the harvest truly is ripe. If you'd like a little bit more direction with this, if you'd like some help on the strategic elements of this, well, come back next week for part two in our series on social sermons with Brady Shear. My name is Justin Koo. This is the Digital Missions Podcast.